My name is Alex Rosa, and I'm our family life pastor here at New Life. Today, we are in part six of a series called Mountain Monologues. But before we get to that, if this is your first time here, I just want to say thank you so much for deciding to invest some of your morning with us. And just rest assured, although we're in part six of a series, you can jump right in today and it'll make sense. But also, if you are new or if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I'd encourage you to go back and you can watch them on our podcast or on our website or through the app. Last week, we actually took a brief break from Mountain Monologues, and Pastor Kristen did a fantastic job helping us understand how we can bring about God's glory to this earth and join God in the work that he's doing right here. But over the last couple of weeks in Mountain Monologues, we've been focusing on what Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, which was this time where he climbed the mountain and a huge crowd gathered. He was instructing his disciples, but a lot of people were there hearing his words. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about different laws that were given to the Jewish people, and he was sharing God's intent. Why did God write these laws? And Jesus was helping us understand how they were made to transform our hearts and our lives. So far, we've talked about what Jesus had to say with the laws that were regarding murder and anger and lust, and adultery, and divorce. And let me tell you, Pastor Barry did a fantastic job two weeks ago tackling a very hard subject, a very challenging one with lust, adultery, and divorce. It wasn't one of those messages that during our message planning meetings, everyone was like, me, me, let me do that message. It's one of the more difficult ones. But let me tell you, I am so thankful here at New Life that we handle the hard subjects, that we're not afraid to tackle some of the more challenging topics. And I like that because as I read the prophets and Jesus and the letters to the New Testament church, the early church, all of them handle hard subjects. They don't shy away from the difficult things because Jesus wants to transform our whole entire lives. So he wants to tackle every bit of our hearts. And so if we stop talking about the challenging stuff, we're going to stop sounding like Jesus. And I don't want that. So I'm glad that we are tackling some things that might make us a little uncomfortable sometimes and might be more challenging than sometimes we'd even prefer. But by doing so, we're asking God what we must do to look like him and less like ourselves. And through that, God is going to use his words to transform our hearts and ultimately our lives. We're continuing this series by talking about what Jesus had to say regarding the laws about oaths and honesty and lies. Before we do that, why don't we pray? And then we're going to go into page 22 of your Mountain Monologues books. If you have it, if you don't have it, you can raise your hand. We have some more that we'd be happy to give you. But we're also going to be in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. But let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for being here and present and in the room right now. I pray that as we share and we talk about your word, that you will speak to us. Pray that you'll get me out of the way and that your Holy Spirit will just move in whatever way you want to right now and help us to leave this place changed, looking more like your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, not just to instruct us, but to die and rise again so we can come into new life, into a family with you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So on that mountain, Jesus shared about how we are to live. And in Matthew 5, 33, he said this. Again, you all have heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not swear falsely and you shall keep your oaths to the Lord. 
Before we dive into that, I just want to point something out. In the bottom right-hand corner of uh, the, the scripture there, it says Matthew 5.33, and then it says CMT. Someone asked me recently what CMT means. Normally, we put the translation of the Bible there, so it might say an LT, New Living Translation, or an IV, New International Version, but CMT simply stands for Chris Marshall Translation. And I'm not joking with you. It's uh, our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Chris, literally before the series started, sat down with his Greek Bible and he translated the words from Greek to English so that as the speaking team, we could see exactly what their Greek was saying, but also so that we all could read it because it's in the Mountain Monologue booklets. What it does is it helps us understand directly what it says. Most translations um, translate some of the words into more modern English to, to help us to dissect it, but this helps us to see exactly what the Greek originally said. So when, when Jesus said, You've heard it said to the ancients, what he was saying is that your ancestors, because he's speaking to mostly, not entirely, but mostly a Jewish crowd. So he's saying your ancestors, the Jewish people, received laws from God. And then he talked about one of them. He talked about how God commands us not to swear falsely. And the Jewish people at large generally memorized as much of the Old Testament as they possibly could. A rabbi would memorize all of it, but most people had the first four books of the Bible down Pat. And in one of those books that was one of the ones that they would memorize was Leviticus. And Leviticus had a bunch of laws in it. And one law in Leviticus sounds a lot like what Jesus just shared. Leviticus 19.12 says, do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. God was saying, don't misuse my name. Don't use my name and then swear falsely upon it. And Jesus was sharing at this moment in the Sermon on the Mount the intent behind why God commanded this as a law. So Matthew 5 continues this way, Jesus saying, but I myself say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven because it is the throne of God, nor by the earth because it is the footstool of God's feet, nor by Jerusalem because it is a city of the great king. Neither by your head shall you swear, because you are not able to make one hair white or black. So Jesus was getting at the intent. Why did God write this law? Why is it so important? And we can summarize what Jesus said right there by saying the problem with oaths is they were being used as occasions for deceitfulness. So what was happening People generally back then would swear by God, and if they would do that, it was a binding agreement. So if you said, I'll do this, I swear by God, I swear to God, then you had to do it. And if you broke that, there was big punishment coming your way. So what people decided to do was to get around that were, were that they swore by things that were loosely associated to God. Say, I swear to God by his throne, and I swear by God's heavens. And they would say things that were related to God, but not quite God, so that when they lied or they broke that agreement, the punishment wouldn't come to them. So Jesus was letting them know, this is wrong. This is deceitful. You're using my name, you're misusing it, and you're lying on that name. Stop it. Stop misusing my name. He was getting to the heart of the problem, which is deceitfulness. And then Jesus ended this portion of the Sermon on the Mount clarifying it even further. He said, but let your word be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything more than these is from the evil one. 
Because if you're swearing by God's name and then you're breaking it, you're speaking the enemy's language, so you're swearing by the evil one. Don't do that. He's saying just let your yes be yes. Be trustworthy. Be honest. And this was so important that Jesus' brother James wrote to the early church, and he quoted this almost exactly. In James 5.12, we find that it says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Again, God wants our hearts. He wants our whole beings. And so when Jesus says, don't make an oath, when James is reminding us not to make an oath, it's not because Jesus hates oaths. He doesn't hate agreements. What he's saying is he detests when we lie to each other, when we're making up schemes so that we can be deceitful. He doesn't want us to lie. And so this was the problem with oaths. See, oaths are only needed because we live in a sinful world that breeds distrust. If there wasn't distrust going on, we wouldn't need oaths. We wouldn't need promises. We wouldn't try to ask someone for a pinky promise if everything we said came to fruition. I watched the show, it's called Survivor, and it's been around for like 20-some years, and it's not nearly as cool as it was 20 years ago, but I still like it. And in the show, if you've never seen it and never heard of it, again, it's been around for 22 years. How have you not heard of it? If, uh, if what happens, they take a group of people, they put them on an island, and then every week they vote someone off until there's one person left. They get a bunch of money. But during this, people generally lie to each other. And, and what I've observed as I've watched it is that when people really want to solidify a lie, a lot of times they make an oath. They start to swear by something. They might swear by God or by their family or their, their life or their grandmother or something like that. They'll swear by stuff. But usually when that happens, other people go, oh, yeah, they're probably lying because lying is abounding. And so people are aware of that. When there's distrust, when there is lies, we need to try to make up for that with promises and oaths. But Jesus was helping us understand that that's not his desire for us. His desire for us is to be honest to one another. You see, Jesus urged us to be honest and trustworthy in our speech. So swearing oaths to support assertions or commitments wouldn't be needed. We wouldn't need them. If we were honest with the people we are interacting with, and if they were honest with us, we simply wouldn't need to make these oaths or these agreements. And when we were doing that, we were living as God has commanded us to live. The desire of his heart is for us to be honest with one another. And this leads us to our take-home point, which is the one point that this message is focusing on. It comes right from God's word, and it's really a summary of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. It's this. God calls us to be trustworthy. Simply, he calls us to be trustworthy. So why aren't we always trustworthy? Why do we lie? And when I say we, I mean we, because this is an us issue. We as people, not just non-Christians or just Christians, but people generally bend the truth sometimes. The University of Massachusetts a few years ago did this study, and they came to the conclusion that 60% of people when they're in a conversation with someone they just met, can't go 10 minutes without saying one lie. There's been other studies that say most people lie four times a day. So if earlier when I said this is a we issue, you're like, not me, I don't lie. Well, that's your one, and you probably have three more to use. 
use them wisely. Just kidding, don't, don't try to use them. But why do we lie? So, so lying is an issue, but why do we lie? Here are three reasons. They're not all encompassing, but they are three reasons we lie. Well, first, we believe lies will keep us safe. We believe that they'll keep us safe. We lie because we're afraid. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid that we might hurt someone. We are afraid that we might even look bad. And so we lie to avoid a punishment. But we know this. If we lie, or when we lie, we generally reap the punishment as well as losing trust. Generally get both of those. I learned that when I was in high school. In high school, my youth pastor, Jamie, introduced a small group of us from youth group to something called LARP, which is an acronym that means live action role-playing, and it's about as nerdy as it sounds. What we would do is we would get in like costumes like something out of Lord of the Rings, and we'd go to like a Boy Scout camp and then pretend we were at something like Lord of the Rings. And if you don't understand a lick of what I just said, that's fine. It's just very, very nerdy. And my youth pastor invited us to go to it. So we went, and it was, it was kind of fun. And one day, it was in the middle of winter, my youth pastor called up, my friends and I were all at my house. We we're all getting our costumes. We we're all getting ready. And Jamie called up and said, hey, there's a terrible snowstorm going on. It's not worth it to go to LARP. I'm not going, and I suggest you not to go. Now, at the time, I was 17, and I was like, what do you mean not worth it? We're going to have fun. What possibly could have hurt us on the way there? And so my response was to say, wow, Jamie, I really appreciate you looking out for us. We definitely won't go. Then I hung up the phone. It was that time where I didn't have a cell phone. So hung it up on the wall. And then we got in the car and we drove to LARP. And it was awful. The driving was the worst uh, conditions I've ever driven in to that point. We almost wrecked a whole bunch of times, but we got there and had a mediocre time because it was snowing the whole time and that was kind of miserable. But we got home and on that Sunday night, I went to youth group. I was in a conversation with Jamie, and I let it slip that we actually did go to LARP. And I don't know if I let it slip because I have a guilty conscience, and so I kind of wanted him to know. I don't know. But I told him that we were there, and I could see on his face the hurt in our relationship. Immediately, he lost trust in me. I look back at that, and if I would have been honest, if when he said, hey, you guys shouldn't go, and I said, okay, well, I appreciate you saying that, but we're going to go anyway— we would have disagreed, but trust would have actually been built. Instead, lost trust and hurt the relationship. So we lie to keep safe, but generally it doesn't keep us safe. We a lot of times end up in that punishment anyway. Why else do we lie? Well, we believe lies will get us things we want. We believe, we believe that lies will get us the things that we want. We see this in our kids Ezra, our oldest, is five, and there was one time a little bit ago where we told him, hey, why don't you go to your room and clean it up and then come back and get a treat? Now, that's a bribe, and we're not talking about bribes today, but maybe we should in the future sometime. And he said, sure, because he loves treats. Who doesn't? So he went upstairs to clean his room, and he came back down and said, the room's clean. Can I get a treat? And we're like, absolutely. Here's a treat. Later on that day, we went up to put him down to sleep, and we walk in, and the room, as you can imagine, was a mess. I said, Ezra, well, what are you doing? You said that you cleaned it. And he said, I didn't want to clean it, but I wanted the treat, which was honest, and I appreciated that. But then we had to have a little talk about lies. As adults, we do the same thing. We, we might not think of it in the same way, but we do the same thing. We try to get ahead just a little bit. And if that takes a little lie to make ourselves look a little better for the promotion or for the, the girl that we're trying to impress or whatever it is, we might bend the truth sometimes to get what we want. 
But here's the facts. When we lie, it's never worth it to get what we want because it pulls us away from the purpose that we were designed for. It pulls us away from who God created us to be. Jesus was very clear before he ascended to heaven. After he died and rose from the grave, he gave us some marching orders. And he told us about our purpose. And he did not say our purpose was to get things. He didn't say our purpose was to get rich or to be happy or to find comfort. He gave us some clear instructions. He said this, and it's recorded in Matthew. Matthew 28, Jesus' disciple Matthew wrote this down. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission the reason that we were put on this planet was to know Jesus, to have a relationship with God, and to help other people know Jesus. That's it. That's our whole purpose. Whenever we started this year, we focused on something called the one. We talked about how God has given us ones in our lives. A one is someone that doesn't know Jesus yet. And Jesus has called us to reach out to them and show them the way to God because that's our purpose. That's what we were created to do. And when we're lying and we're trying to get ahead or get the things we want by lying, we are walking further away from that purpose. We're moving ourselves from that for success usually, for success in the material world, for for the success in, in the human standards. But listen, God did not say, go and get as much success in the the world's eyes as you can. He said, go and make disciples. Mother Teresa once said this, and it stuck with me. She said, we are not called to be successful, but faithful. It's easy to get wrapped up in wanting success. The world celebrates worldly success. But God has called us to be faithful And sometimes that's doing things completely counterintuitive to our culture. But God will take care of the rest. He'll take care of the success. If he wants us to have success, he'll he'll make it happen. And ultimately, if we are being faithful, we are getting success in the spiritual realm, which is more important anyway. So why do we lie? Well, we believe lies will keep us safe. We believe lies will get us things we want. And finally, we believe the lie will work better than the truth. This is a fundamental reason why we lie. We believe that the lie will get us something better than the truth could. And that generally doesn't work that way. We lie to impress someone or to shift blame or to avoid conflict or to get away with something or get out of something. And when we're doing that, we're trusting the lie as being more powerful than the truth. But when we do that, we're relying on a lie to get us something that it simply can't. We're asking a lie to get us freedom from something or life from something that it just simply can't. And this is why Jesus said, and it's recorded in John 8, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set us free. The truth brings about freedom. Lies don't. Lies bring about bondage and bring about hurt. Lies bring about freedom. And so if we're trusting in God, We are going to say the truth, and it's going to bring us freedom. But when we're not trusting in God, we're going to lie, and it's going to take us away from that freedom. And this is one of those reasons why God detests lying. 
Because not only does it hurt people, but it shows people a poor representation of him. And it pulls us away from who we were created to be. And we know that God detests lying because King Solomon, the wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus, once said this, and it's recorded in Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. God delights in those who speak the truth. He enjoys when we are honest with not only ourselves, but with the world around us. And this is because lies hurt people and cause God's followers to represent him poorly. Relationships are hurt when we lie. I saw that with my youth pastor, Jamie. And when we lie, God is not pleased. On the flip side of that, Satan is pleased when we lie. Satan, the great enemy of God and of us. He loves when we lie because when we lie, we speak his natural tongue, his natural language. When we lie, we're never, we're never more like Satan than when we lie. That's one of his main tools to destroy our lives and our society. He tries to seep in to our, our lives and to our society so that we will lie to one another, so that we'll believe lies, so that we lie to ourselves, so that we even live in a lie. And by doing that, we are not caring for other people and we're not showing people who God is. But God is not a liar. So when we speak the truth, we're speaking his native tongue. We're no more like God than when we are talking in the truth as God is the truth. As we read through God's word, not only does it tell us that Jesus is the truth, but it also reminds us that God will share the truth even when it's difficult, even when it's challenging. Now, if I was God and I wanted people to follow me, you might make things really easy. But God doesn't do that because he doesn't want ease. He wants us to live the best life, to live the fullest life that we were created to live. He wants our whole hearts and our whole being. So he shares hard truths. And when we see that, we see God's nature. Paul, in a letter to Titus, who was a young man that was leading the uh, section of the early church, Paul writes this letter to Titus to talk about the truth. Titus 1, 1 through 2 says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So Paul, this early church planner going around and starting churches around is encouraging Titus, but he's reminding us as well that God simply does not lie. So God wants us to be truthful. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to care for other people and represent him well. So how do we do that? How do we be trustworthy? How do we live honest lives and not just speak the truth, but live in the truth? Well, the first thing we've got to do is know the truth. We've got to make ourselves familiar with the truth. I just referenced this, but in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what do we do? Well, we invest time with the truth. We read in the Bible. We read God's word. We allow that to be hidden in our hearts. We read the truth so that we can apply it to our lives and live it out. We also can do this through prayer. Not only by talking to God, but more importantly, by listening to God. God's still speaking today. So we can ask God to open our ears to hear what he wants to say to us. And then we can sit in silence and hear from God. He's still speaking. So it's very difficult. It's much easier for me to talk to him in prayer than it is to listen. But it's much more beneficial to us to listen to what God has to say and to listen to the truth. 
What else can we do? We can also ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up. God has not let us be alone. He's asked us to, to get filled with the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can guide us and direct us and to fill us with the truth so we can better understand the truth and we can speak it and live in it. So let's ask the Holy Spirit every day. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Guide, direct me. Do what I can't do on my own. And when we do that, we'll get to know the truth. We'll be able to live in it better. You see, the more time we invest with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the easier it'll be to hear God's voice and to speak the truth. The easier it'll be to hear his voice, the more that we're practicing listening to him. And then when those times come where we aren't honest and when we are dishonest or we lie, the Holy Spirit will convict us and help guide us into know what to do next. I know this practically. A couple years ago, I was in a conversation and the conversation got a little angry. Someone wasn't very happy. And as it was going on, a question was asked and I thought in my head, if I just lie, I will protect someone that I care about. Isn't that a good thing? If I just protect them with this lie, it has to be a positive thing. So I lied. I got off the phone and I sat there in my car and the Holy Spirit started convicting me. I don't know if right before the call, I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me up or that morning or whatever, but the Holy Spirit was talking to me in that moment. Felt so convicted, I couldn't move. Holy Spirit was like, call them back up and say, you lied. And I told God, I don't want to do that. Like, they're already mad at me. Are you kidding me? This isn't going to help. And he said, call them up. So I got my phone. And instead of calling them, I called my wife. And I tried to get my wife to be like, hey, can you like, you know, uh, override God's decision on this one? Like, you know, right? Like God's giving you me. She said, no, she couldn't do that. So I got off the phone. I called the person. I said, I got to tell you something. I lied in this situation. And I told them, I just laid it out. And let me tell you, they were mad. They weren't very happy with me. And I was like, oh, okay, God, what's going on? But I'll tell you this. I got done with the conversation. Eventually, uh, forgiveness would come. But after that conversation, I got off the phone and I felt this overwhelming peace from following God. Sometimes we look at people in our lives that have left a relationship with God or wandered away from God, rather, and we go, how did that happen? Was it just one big occurrence? And normally it's not. Normally we drift. We do one thing and God says, you gotta turn back to me right here. And we go, I don't really want to. And we do another thing and we eventually stop listening or hearing his voice. And so in moments like this, let us not ignore his voice. Let us walk back into his presence, even when it's difficult, and share the truth and come back. And in doing so, please God. Because again, we're called to be faithful, not successful. So let's be faithful in those moments. And when someone comes to us and says, hey, I gotta admit, I lied in this situation. Let us be ready and willing to forgive. And how do we do that? Well, we ask Jesus to help us. He's ready and willing to forgive us of everything. So let us ask God to fill us up the Holy Spirit so we are able to forgive. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about anger and forgiveness, I shared this and I wanted to share it again. James 5.16 said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So when we sin against other people, let us go to them and let us admit our faults. Let us ask for that forgiveness. And when people come to us, let us be willing and able to forgive. Both of those are only gonna happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what else do we do? So we're, we're learning about the truth. We're also admitting when we fail in that situation and turning back to God. But we can also remind ourselves daily who knows the future and who doesn't. We don't know the future, but God does. Sometimes we can get labeled untrustworthy because we make a promise that's out of our control. We'll say, yeah, for sure, I'll do that in the future. But we don't know what's happening in the future. 
We don't know the circumstances that are going to come in our way, and we might end up not doing those things and then be labeled untrustworthy. So instead, we rely on God for the future because he knows the future. James said this regarding this subject. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a, the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. When you, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. That was in James 4, 13 through 16. Let's not make promises that we can't keep. Instead, let us use the language that comes from the book of James. We can tell people, I'll do my best to do that, but if the Lord wills, I will certainly do that. So let's use that language. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're under-promising, over-delivering. And New Life staff, we often says we'd rather under-promise and over-deliver than over-promise and under-deliver. So let's give the future to God because he has it already. And by doing that, we'll be trustworthy. And when we are trustworthy and we're living in the truth and talking the truth, people will see God in us. A few weeks ago in our message about salt and light, we talked about how Jesus wants us to positively impact the world around us. We are to reflect God's light like the moon reflects the light of the sun. And one of the ways we can do that is by being honest. God will be present in that. People will see Jesus in us when we're being truthful, especially when those are hard truths that we are sharing. And when we do that, we must share the truth in love. And I know this is difficult. Everything that we're talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount is pretty difficult. But Jesus commands us to do that. And he commands us to do it. Why? Because he wants us to live life in the fullest and because he knows that he's going to live and move in us. And he's going to give us the ability to do what we can't do on our own. There's this book called Sit, Stand, Walk by Watchman Nee. And in that book, he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And one time he was talking about forgiveness. And while he was talking about forgiveness, a guy came up to him afterwards and said, watch me, you don't understand. I can't forgive some people in my life. My wife left me for my best friend and I can't forgive them. I've been angry at them, I hate them, and it's been two years and I just simply can't forgive them. And watch me, responded by saying, you're right, you can't. In your own human sense, you don't have the capability, the ability to do that. He says, but Jesus does. So what you must do is kneel down and give that to God every day. Say, God, take that from me. Help me to have your Holy Spirit. Help me to be able to forgive where I can't forgive. And eventually, God will work. He does transform our hearts, but it takes a concerted effort of us trusting in him, which is an action. So we kneel, we give it to him. Watch me continued elaborating on this when he said, how could the Lord dare to raise the standard higher still? That's what we're talking about. This is the hard standard that he's given on the Sermon on the Mount. He could do so only because he believed in his own life. He's not afraid of making the most exacting demands upon himself. Indeed, we may find comfort in reading the laws of the kingdom as set forth in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, for they show what utter confidence the Lord has in his own life made available to his children, those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The greatness of his demands upon us only show how confident he is that the resources he has put within us are fully enough to meet them. God does not command what we will not perform, but we must throw ourselves back on him for the performance. 
It's saying that Jesus can do more than we think or imagine. Jesus can do that through us. So what do we do? We call upon his power and not our own. God's word tells us that through him, we are more than conquerors. The word of God says that we have the victory already in the name of Jesus. We have to call upon Jesus and claim that victory that is already ours. Same resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the dead flows within our bodies because the Holy Spirit fills us up. So once we give our lives over to Jesus, we don't live this life alone, but we live it through his power. So we can do more than we think and imagine because of Jesus. And so let us not allow these messages to leave us discouraged. They're going to be challenging. They have been, they will be. But as we go about them, let us just simply fall on our knees in front of Jesus and say, you take it and you give me the power to do it. And through that, the victory will be ours. And we'll get to see God's glory and his work on this earth. And we'll get to partner with it in miraculous ways. So let us do that in regards to lying and honesty. Let us tell the truth. And when we tell the truth, we're showing people Jesus. We're caring for other people and we're representing him well. And we can do that through our next step, which is simply, I will be a person of my word this week. When it's easy and when it's difficult, we give that ability to Jesus and it's gonna take us every day. Holy Spirit, fill me up and guide me in the truth. Help me to live and talk in the truth. If you're here today and you're thinking, wow, I don't live every day with the Holy Spirit, but I'd like to live not on my own, but through that power that comes through Jesus. Well, here we say that coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, becoming one of his children as he is our father is as simple as A, B, C. A, we start by simply admitting that we're sinners, that we fall short, and that we need him as our savior, rescuer from sin and death, our Lord, our master, our owner, our God. We believe in him as our master, Lord, and God, and our savior. And we confess those sins. We ask for forgiveness. God will grant that. And then we ask to be filled with that Holy Spirit so we don't do this life on our own, but through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. It's not about us, it's about him. And he has a purpose for you and me. And it starts by getting to know him and joining this relationship. So if you've never trusted in him as Lord and Savior, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray as if I were you. And I encourage you to make this prayer your own, in your own heart and your mind. We're gonna ask God to be our Lord and our Savior. Ask Jesus to come into our lives and take over. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you once again for being here in this room. I thank you for loving us and caring for us, for dying and rise again for us. Pray right now that you hear the prayers of all who wanna to come to know you as Lord and Savior. Hear us as we say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe your one and only son died and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm not perfect. Forgive me of my sins, enter into my life, make me new, bring me into your family and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, guide me now and every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us whatever it is that you're gonna send us out to do this week. Pray for those conversations that we're gonna find ourselves in where it feels easier to lie, feels better to lie. God, in those moments, convict us, help us steer us towards the truth. And in doing so, help us to care for one another and show the world you. We love you, we thank you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.